0: Hey, everyone. It's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling and uh, Johnny Pemberton. And Johnny uh, and I were just trying to figure out, oh, yeah, when did we first meet? It's a number of years ago. And our mutual friend, Duncan Trussell, uh, put us together. And I just thought it's been too long. And I've always wanted to do this, Johnny. So welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be Be here. here. here.
0: That was intentional, by the way. Oh, it was oh yeah. okay, good. <laughs>
1: just set you at ease.
0: <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Oh God. Um. So I um. Well, there's a lot of intersections uh, as I found out. But w- one interesting thing I was just told that you mm-hmm. were recently at um a Delhi conference. Were you at a deli conference recently? Like
1: deli, like deli meats, like thinly sliced meats, or a uh, deli That's like the city deli?
0: It's kind of deli delic. delic. Oh, delic.
1: All oh, right, the meat delic. deli yeah.
0: delic. The, yeah, the meat. Yeah. yeah, So it could be meat deli.
1: I would love an actual <laughs> a deli conference where it was just a sampling of
0: just go around and eat of... bagels and learn yeah. about how they get. Uh, yeah.
1: That would be uh, great. Actually, I might make way, that happen now.
0: And I am an expert around bagels because I'm oh, from Montreal.
1: Oh, that's the best bagel.
0: Montreal had you have these European Jews that came there and mm-hmm. they have these specific uh recipes and specific brick ovens down in the old section of Montreal. Uh it's called the Maine. St. Louis. I've had them
1: many times. It's my it's something I haven't had in so long that uh there's actually a place in LA that just opened up a Montreal style bagel, and I think they really? just have lines. They're, you can't get them unless you want to wait in line for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone knows how good they are. They're so great. They're the best. Yeah,
0: no, it's incredible. And we also have something in Montreal called smoked meat. Not that I eat meat uh, anymore, but mm-hmm. I, even when I wasn't really eating meat, I'd go to Montreal and hang family, whatever it was. I would go, it's called Schwartz's.
1: Oh, I've been there. It, yeah, I've been to oh. Schwartz. I've You're had the, uh, the meat. Yeah, because yeah. the, there's a comedy festival in Montreal. Oh, right. And and I've done it maybe right. three times, I think. Yeah. Something like that. So the first uh. time, I definitely had plenty of smoked meat. <laughs> and the second time, I had it slightly less. And the third time, I think maybe, it's like, okay, I think I've had enough of <laughs> yeah. this smoked meat for yeah. a while.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, pret- oh, what about the French fries? Come on. Oh, yeah.
1: The poutine?
0: Yeah. I mean, the Which best. Is not
1: the same as Putin, right?
0: No, <laughs>
1: <laughs> My not at all. Yeah, uh,
0: but addicting as well,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: if if that's, that's where you true. Are. So anyhow, at the Meat Delic right conference, I love that. Uh, you, of course, your friends uh, Duncan and Aubrey Marcus were uh-huh. there. Yeah, tell me about that. What was that all about?
1: It was, I guess, it's some conference that was supposed to happen uh, a year prior, but obviously, all these things happened. That uh, stopped them, and it was like it was just a big psychedelic conference. They had a bunch of music, they had a bunch of uh, like uh, I would call it like a symposium, but that's like uh, I think that's more of a doctor kind of thing. But it was like a, it was like a psychedelic symposium. And so
0: speakers and all that.
1: Yeah, we did a live podcast. Duncan recorded a live version of his podcast and had oh, yeah. uh, some guests, me being one of them. And we it was pretty pretty uh, uh, cut and dry. We were in and out. And it was, oh yeah, it was really oh, fun. you did your and, yeah. thing and
0: that was it. But it yeah. all, of course, lends itself uh, to the reality of uh, what is your connection with ethneogens?
1: I suppose for me, probably it started um, when I was in, I guess I was in high school and I was just in Minnesota. And a good friend of mine who passed away last year, uh, he was growing uh, psilocybin mushrooms and he he found a way to do it in his basement at home. He was probably 16 years old. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> he was really into Terence McKenna, and uh, we we played in a jazz group together. So he's just a real real high minded individual, just incredibly intelligent. Probably one of the smartest people I've ever known in my entire life. But he mm. uh, he got me he got me into that along with our other bandmates. And we I remember the first time I ever took psilocybin mushrooms. It was like the, I think I was probably 16 or 17, and uh, yeah, I think that that was my, my introduction to it. I think probably the actual introduction to anything like that probably came through music because I was really, really mm. into music. Still am. But back then, it was like that was the content of my life was music. Nothing else. You was and some, me both, important. brother. Yeah. And there's so much psychedelic, uh, aspe- so it has psychedelic aspects to music that's kind of unavoidable at some point.
0: Yeah, start with stopping your mind. Yeah. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. on on both levels. Yeah. Both uh, psychedelic. And um, we should have a little bit of a caveat here about 16, 17, mm-hmm. uh, that you know you were experimenting with psychedelics and so on. I when any anybody ever tells me that or I say right. it about myself and uh I always say please try and at the very least follow Alpert and Leary's suggestions around set and settings, okay? Because yeah. it is important. Very you important. You cannot play around with this shit. I know many of us, and I say us, have played around, and it's part of growing up. But uh, you know, when you have some people who are experienced, uh, a saying, mm-hmm. especially Leary and Alpert. I mean, I hung out with who came, Ramdas, right? In in the we were once in the Himalayas up in the middle of nowhere, looking at the 28,000-foot uh, peaks all across the mm-hmm. horizon, right? And he was regaling us of, his, of psychedelic stuff with Leary and all of that, Millbrook and elsewhere, you know, at school, Harvard. And uh, these guys were obviously out there as pioneers and offering mm-hmm. themselves up to experiment on what, what this stuff really was. So all I'm saying is it's good to look to them and look to, uh, especially around set and settings.
1: Yeah, that was actually something that we, for the longest time, I had trouble even thinking about. When people would talk about doing them recreationally, I was always just, I don't think that's good, really. You have to really do this with intention and figure out where you're going to be and everything. You have to do your homework before you do that because otherwise... Uh, you can have uh, some pretty heavy, pretty heavy consequences.
0: So, what? Where did this go for you, though? As you became an adult,
1: I don't know. I think uh, it just. I think for me, the main thing it did was sort of just show me some stuff that was uh, I would never have seen otherwise. Like some sort of it opened my mind up, mind up to ideas that were not really concrete ideas, but maybe feelings about the, just the the sort of the sameness of the world and the idea that there's really not a lot of differences between us and and having, having perspective. I, I'd say perspective mm. was probably the biggest thing. It, it gave Huge. me this perspective of something that helped me, I mean, it probably helped me in more ways than I can possibly imagine. I also think it's a thing where it's, uh, I'm sure it's. I developed as a person as a result, and the timeline that I exist in now as this person is a direct result of having that perspective shift at a relatively young age that mm. gave me the ability to to interact with things and to probably deal with certain problems because I was able to maybe take a step back.
0: Mm. Yeah. I would say that when I talk about this stuff as well, not necessarily uh, just psychedelics or anything like that, but just the path uh-huh. and where we're at and what we're dealing with and so on. And my first recommendations are perspective and trust. Uh-huh. Probably start with trust, you know. And I'm very fortunate that I met Ramdas when I was in my uh, early 20s and uh so that trust led me uh, to a path that i had no idea even existed nothing i had no idea it just felt good that's all yeah you know it just felt good so perspective uh, if then i could see that okay there's many different viewpoints from which to see that your day-to-day quote-unquote reality and uh some of the you know incredible methodology that he brought back that really you know of course is all Eastern uh, was just extraordinarily helpful. But the, do you know that too, this just reminds me right. this movie we did um, a, a doc becoming nobody with Ramdas okay. um, it's, it's uh, it is um, both gives a real idea of his teachings and his style, and, you know, he was known as the spiritual uh, Lenny Bruce back in the day, basically. Yeah. Um, and in in that movie, I mean, there's so much in it the, of of real value to absorb, but uh, the director asked him, Jamie Cotto, he says, so um, what are the two most important things that you could share with me about, you know, whatever you've gotten all, all of these years through all the practice you've done, etc. Two
1: and not one or three. I like that.
0: Just two. Just he two. He said two. You only get two. You know what he said? Love and humor. Wow. Okay? So I was thinking about you.
1: That's pretty good. And,
0: and just that we were going to talk and I, I remembered this thing. And uh, of course, everybody, I haven't even introduced you.
1: That's okay. I like a late introduction. It's always better.
0: It is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think so.
0: Anyhow, Johnny uh, is an actor and a stand-up. I don't know. I guess we are going back out in the road now?
1: Uh, Somewhat, yeah.
0: Yeah? Yeah, I, mean, I know because Duncan like a, told me he was too.
1: You can't just dive in anymore. You have to kind of like go for it and see how long you can sustain because if you build up too much of a thing, you run the risk of...
0: Yeah, uh, a lot of cancellations yeah. that people aren't happy about. Yeah. So yeah, Johnny uh has uh I mean, Johnny looks like he's uh, well you guys are uh, watching this on YouTube, you know. He well, maybe they are, yeah. looks like 18 or something. And uh but well, he's been doing this a while.
1: The camera does a lot for me. <laughs> I think there's it's deceiving. Um, I don't think I can quite do 18 anymore, but uh um, no,
0: maybe not. Yeah. Uh, But the truth is...
1: Perspective.
0: Perspective, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, give me a little of your perspective that you that has um, given you a point of view that really has changed the way you relate with the constant phenomena that approaches us on a moment-to-moment basis.
1: I mean, there's a lot to say there, I suppose. Um, I think a big thing for me, as far as we're talking about perspective... Was I? I've been like an illness for most of my life. I had a bowel disease called colitis.
0: Oh yes, I know it well. My first yeah. wife had it. Yep, it's not fun.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's not great. I had it since but I've had it since I was really, really young. So for me, it was never something where, like, it didn't just hit me. I kind of grew up with it. And uh, so I think a lot of times when you grow up with something, you don't really—it's not as bad to you as it seems to others. Obviously, that was. Very difficult a lot of times, and there was different times that were uh, more difficult than others.
0: Well, my wife, was mm-hmm. the mother of my children, was in the hospital f- for six months, I think.
1: Okay. See, that's I never had to experience that. Yeah. I had surgery, which was like, that's a different thing. You're recovering from surgery, but not... Mm-hmm. I never had been hospitalized for the colitis. I had like... One time, I think I had a bowel blockage, but that was... That was cleared up probably like in two days or something like that. So
0: that was that's good to know.
1: Yeah, but I've never had that thing where a lot of people who have Crohn's or colitis, mm. well, these it's, will have these things where they're just
0: yeah. their uh, bodies failing no, no, them, and they have yeah, to go in the hospital. Terrible.
1: But I've been really lucky mm. with that regard. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a weird disease. It's a strange thing. There's a lot of mental. There's a huge mental aspect of it, and I uh, I don't think I learned that until much later. So uh, I think having that really changed my perspective on things because it made me it made a lot of things I wanted to do not possible. Mm. And I think it's when you can't do the things you want, especially when you're younger, you feel kind of like you've been cheated. But at the same time, I think you have to you have to find out a way, have to find a way to be happy and get around. Otherwise, you're just going to be destroyed by this thing. And I suppose that uh, for me, music was a big thing and um, any kind of creative thing like painting or anything creative whatsoever, anything that was like a creative outlet to me was what I was really interested in because I felt like this is accessible to me regardless of how I'm feeling physically. And because at the time, like all throughout high school and, and junior high and everything. When you, have a, when you have a bowel disease, there's this thing that happens where you become very afraid to travel because you need to be near a bathroom and you don't want to have an accident because it's like, is there anything more embarrassing in this entire yeah. world than having an accident? <laughs> Obviously there is, but at the time it feels no. so embarrassing. So mm. I, there's a lot of stuff I, was, I limited myself with. Oh my God, you know what's so funny? This is so strange, Raghu. Okay, so I have literally the same type of door And it's, and my dog is about the same size and she would be coming through the door just the same way as that. And it's just like, it's such a strange coincidence. It's kind of blowing blowing my mind right now. The fact like you have the same shape of door, same black handle with a dog coming through. The same dog. dog. Yeah, it's the same dog. It's like, we're just in like mirror worlds right now.
0: We're, yes, we're.
1: That's so funny. Well on our way through
0: the metaverse for sure. Yeah. Uh, Except yes. my
1: camera's facing the other direction, so I'm like basically looking. At your, I'm looking at your door right now, and if I look to my right, there's the same door, just bigger, and in reality, and not on the TV. <laughs> God, so strange.
0: Uh, all right, yeah. so yes, yeah, so yeah. through this, uh, we're talking about perspective mm-hmm. and um, perch from which you see it all, right? And how how did this disease? Um, well, you did say, of course, it forced you into uh, letting go. I mean, not so many words, right?
1: I mean, it's, it's somewhat. I think there's a lot of resistance. I I developed a lot of resistance from my—it's coming from me resisting this and feeling like I I want to be a Bohemian. I want to, like, travel around and do that kind of stuff, you know, because right? you're reading—everyone's reading Jack Kerouac probably back around then, it's like a thing where it's so appealing, mm. um, not to say anything of him— now good or bad but I think there's definitely a lot of uh what do you say it's you romanticize the thing and so when you romanticize something that you can't you can't have this thing it makes it even more desirable and for me that was a thing where I was like I wanted this so bad to be able to do this stuff but I felt like I couldn't because of the illness and so I had to find other ways to do this type of thing to build up my who I was like who, who am I without being able to be like a bohemian type of mm, thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that meant like doubling down with uh, getting into music. Getting into like I really got, got really mm. into jazz because uh, that felt like a similar thing. Where it's you're in this vanguard. You like this thing that's very has like a lot of uh, it's very progressive and well, novel.
0: Yeah. Well, the improvisational aspect of it. Totally. The way that you it's just tuning into intuition and mm-hmm. not. Anything in your mind, that kind of practice does change your perspective, and of course, suffering changes your perspective, which is yeah. what you're really talking about. Um, so, I guess when I talk about it, the most, the crucial thing, Ramdas did this in the most simple way. He said. Take a few breaths into the center of your chest, your spiritual heart, soul, no mind, whatever the hell you want to call it. And then once you're moved into that place, that is the place that is not your mind, is not your judgments. And from that place, you can really relate with your world uh, in a a far more uh, skillful manner at the very least. And of course, to get there is part and parcel of it all, is some kind of trust. I mean, and Duncan Trussell is probably a, a great example of somebody who he, uh, he did not ignore that he felt this kind of trust with Ramdas in particular, to uh-huh. the point where he called me <laughs> to, to, you know, like say, okay, this is what should happen right now and it was all around podcasts, you know, and here we are, it'll be almost six years or something of doing the Be Here Now Network and Uh all of these uh, wonderful podcasts and growing enormously. Um, So the idea that uh, the perspective includes not hammering yourself over the head with every misstep, Mm -hmm. so non-judgment and... uh, being present way more because there's less fear of what's going to happen in the future. That's the pers- the only perspective I think if if we could just all get there. You know, never mind the other highfalutin kind of uh, philosophical enlightenments and all that bullshit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cuz if we can get there then we can start to be a little bit kinder to each other, I think.
1: Yeah, that the whole the fear stuff is is such a, I mean, it's, that's like a word where it's such a small word, but it has so, so much meaning. And it's the kind of thing where I find myself a lot of times, even recently, especially with the pandemic, cause it's changed. It's just upended so many things that you re- used to be able to do with ease mm. and how, uh, it's like, I find myself, I found myself being like really fearful of things again, but not like fearful in the sense of, uh, like, like actual fear, like fear of, like a tiger or something like that but fear of what other people will think about something or fear fear to try to do something fear to like engage with something because uh now more than ever we have so many people looking at us and the ability to judge like you can comment on anything it's just this thing yeah. where it's like straight Social it's straight media. to the comments lifestyle mm-hmm. where it's it took me a while to figure out like that stuff is just so absolutely uh i don't want to say worthless but it's just it has almost no weight like all this all this commentary and thinking about that and it's something i still struggle with like constantly the idea where you have to make something that's true to you and not be fearful about what you're presenting because you're not going to make something that's perfect you're just going to make something that just just doing the thing that's the most that's the hardest part and anyone who gives you shit about it. anyone who's like like t- trying to pull you down is probably just jealous or has an issue with their own, with what they're trying to do that they can't seem to manifest. And so when you see something else, you get angry about it because it's like this thing where it's like, well, they, they're doing this thing that I want to do, but I can't do it. And I find myself doing the same thing where it, it takes so much, uh, I guess, mindfulness to, to remember that and to persist in the yeah. face of so much constant reminders of, mm. of.
0: Yeah, you know, you yeah. know that it. To me, it's uh, no more or less that kind of. Um, one is talking to oneself and saying, "Shit, <laughs> that's beautiful out there." Wait, why can't I? I I deserve that, and I'm doing whatever it is. The objectifying of absolutely everything. Inside yeah. you is, is the same polarization that we have on a, on a much more sort of obvious level with the us and the them, right? Whoever it is, vax, non-vax, th- th- of course, all of the political stuff that's going down. That's uh, uh, It's all very, very tough. And there's not the fact that, so being unaware or being in a perspective, go back to perspective— mm-hmm where you don't have that mindfulness that what you're doing inside yourself in terms of projecting either something you want or something you don't want or judging another person or judging yourself or all of it at one one time, right? I mean, that is absolutely what's got to get cleared up before you have any chance, in my mind, of being able to be helpful to cut through polarization uh that is going on i mean very difficult
1: it is it's the it's the problem of our time i, f- I feel like that that's the thing where that's the real issue it's the core of everything it seems to be right now is just it's the polarization and stuff and i think that the, the way out of it is to see other people as the same but that involves like taking stock of yourself and realizing I mean, it's, it's there's it's like, it goes, when I think about it, it goes all over the place, but I like, a lot of it has to do with uh, expectations and the idea that we, none of us deserve anything ever at all. But at the same time, we also, it's that duality, the duality of there should be, you, ex, you should expect nothing whatsoever and anything ever always. But also there is a, you should, uh, love yourself and feel deserve it of anything good that comes to you is, is deserved because nothing, I mean, it's like nothing is ever deserved, but also that's because everything is deserved. Mm -hmm. It's that weird duality that you can't quite say, but you can feel it when you, when you're feeling it, you're like, Oh, I can feel this. I can feel this. Oh, I feel warmth for this person and not jealousy. I feel like attraction and not fear. I Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that um, what you're speaking to really is another thing that I love that Ram Dass used to talk about all the time. You can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. We as humans can do that. So there's the plane in, in which expect nothing. Mm-hmm. That has more to do with the reality of being in that place of expecting nothing means you have done a lot of spiritual work in this lifetime and have gotten, you know, the grace to be in a place where you're not expecting, you are living the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is expect nothing, do what you got to do, but don't expect the results. Don't look for the results, basically. So that's one level. And the other level is whatever comes to us because we are doing the right thing. Uh, We are working uh, to our best ability and coming from a place where we're not not going to climb over people's heads to get ahead and do all the kinds of things that are around greed and selfishness. Uh And you deserve what comes back. From good action, karma, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I—that's a good point. Two planes at the same time.
1: I've never heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense because that—that basically solves the problem I had in my head just now. So now I'm like, oh, good. oh Yeah, it's—it is the duality because it's the things, the two things at the same time that seem to be contrary, but they're not contrary because it's like a, it's like a, things overlaying each other, not in opposition. Yeah. That's the thing that's hard to explain to people. It's I think it's a lot of times where people get hung up on the kind of things we're talking about is because a lot of these things seem feel seem contradictory. If you just like think about it like, well, it doesn't make any sense, but it's because it doesn't really make any sense. But that's okay. Cause it's not really well it's not about making sense, is it?
0: Yeah. Stop making sense. Yeah, eh? that great. Yeah, record. Yeah, making
1: sense is just. what? A, what an overrated idea. <laughs> something. Something making yeah. sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, God, I love that record, David Byrne. Uh, film, right?
1: Uh uh-huh. Well, it's a couple film things. Film and right? a record,
0: whatever it is. David Live Byrne. record,
1: right? Five album.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Stop making sense. Is I mean the problem is our God. Is our mind
1: because uh-huh. we're
0: used to being with that mind 24 yeah. 7. Duncan and I are working on this thing called From the Movie of Me to the Movie of We, and just using ourselves, you know, in terms of uh, how we identified the me, which isn't too difficult, the roles mm-hmm. and the, you know, the identities and all that. And then how that, tra- what is the, um, process by which the transformation can happen right once you realize what the we is is as real as the me and that's back to the you know two two planes at the same time Mm -hmm. the you know relative and uh, and uh real the relative and the real Um, so but so part of what we've been doing is just kind of investigating what well what are the things that we can do you talked about mindfulness and so on um by the way koans right what that are, again? that's yeah, k-o-a-n-s
1: koan oh that's right always, the japanese I, I always said cone <laughs> but it makes more no, sense koan sydney so.
0: cone invented them it's
1: yeah okay yeah sydney cone That's like the the puzzle, right? The uh, the, sort of the logic puzzle that makes you think. A cone. Yeah. What's the sound
0: of one hand clapping? Is the most famous. Uh And the idea is to stop the mind that we make king, you know, and believe all of our thoughts. I mean, that's the first. I mean, somebody who says, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about?" Okay, well, let's start with um, you have you have a lot of thoughts that are going on. Yeah, everybody thinks. You believe them? Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Let's start there. That's the starting place, you know. And um, I think one interesting – so, yeah, talk a little bit about comedy. How did you get into comedy and how did that
1: I guess infiltrate I got your life? It. Uh, I mean, I moved out to Los Angeles by, as a plan to do comedy because I really wanted to – that's what I wanted to do. I, I went to college. And I studied kind of like uh, radio, and I did, um, oh. I did uh, a little bit of filmmaking, more like video, like short comedy videos and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I was always really interested in that medium a lot, but in my heart I always knew I really wanted to do live performance. I mean, I, I don't like to say stand-up anymore because I feel like stand-up is such like a – it's almost like a trade word. Like for it me. Is. I don't mind lot other people say it, but for me, I feel like saying stand-up makes me feel like I'm saying um, – like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certain type of welder. Like, oh, I do this type of welding. Where it's like, really, it's just, if you're performing live, it's all the same thing, essentially. Yeah. There's yeah. clear distinctions. There's obviously all kinds of things. When it comes down to it, you're, you're being in the moment in front of people with the goal of sharing something. And if it's comedy, it's sharing something that's funny. Because I, I, so many of the things, like when I'm writing a joke or something, so many times like I'll stop myself. It's like, oh, are people are going to get understand this? And I have to say, oh, yeah, of course they are. Because everyone, if I think something, that means everyone's thinking the same thing. Maybe not everyone, but there's definitely enough people to who are thinking the same thing. And if they're not thinking the exact same thing, my what I do is I explain it so you understand it. <laughs> but I think I kind of got into comedy. I mean, I've been like, I've been just goofing off since I can remember. Like I was always a kid who was, incredibly curious like just really 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 curious um i love to watch things i just love i really love observing i just Mm -hmm. like that to me is uh so incredibly underrated in terms of uh not not so much a skill but something where how do you say this something where like the more you observe the more you have in your like in your toolkit essentially it's like a I just, my first words, the best example is, my, I think my, pretty sure my first words were, What is this? I didn't have a first word. I didn't have a mom or dad. I always said, What is this? Like through a pacifier. And uh, no. I just have, yeah, I mean, it's it sounds oh, crazy. Come
0: on. But you want to hear my first word? Yeah. It's embarrassing next to yours. Yours what is, is, is it? the highest spiritual uh, content. Mine was horse. That's pretty cool. Horse. I mean, we must have been around horses, right? I saw a horse outside. I went, horse? Someone said the horse. cool. You're saying like, who am I? And what am I here for? Okay, and I'm going,
1: look at the horse. (laughs) I mean, I was probably looking at like a block or like a little... I might have been looking at a figurine of a horse, been like, what is this? (laughs) What is this? Trying to say it through my pacifier. Yeah, right. And I suppose that's sort of what started me in comedy Mm -hmm. is I just have always been just incredibly curious about a lot of everything. And, uh, I feel like comedy is something where when you dig around a lot and you like, like watching things and if you like observing certain things, it becomes the thing where you're just trying to find something that's funny. Like I always, if you, I think a lot of comedians really like to laugh because they like to find things that are funny because it makes them feel good. And I really think, uh, a huge amount of com- comedians I- i'd say almost all of them are in comedy because comedy is the greatest medicine for existential dread <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. life is absolute hell to some extent especially if you've come from if you have like certain un- unchangeable circumstances that you come from and comedy is like this instantaneous uh cure to anything that you feel bad about because you feel, you cannot feel bad when you're laughing at something. So for me, I think that's probably what drew me to it, not consciously at all. I just thought, I just love to, uh, to fuck around. <laughs> fuck around and find out. And find out what happens when you do something or say something in a certain way. Mm. And it's, it's kind of like alchemy in a weird way. Where if you put these things together, if you just say something in a certain way, it's funny. But if you say it another way, it's serious. What a strange thing! Like I used to get in trouble in school because I would say we were watching, we were doing the the book Gulliver's Travels. We were watching that movie that's Ted Danson stars as Gulliver, and I would say sometimes in the back class I go Ted Danson. I would just say it like, and I got in trouble for just saying Ted Danson too much in a weird way. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just saying Ted Danson. She's like, you can't do that because it's making everyone laugh and it's not we can't work. And I'm uh, like it's it's hair. nothing. And yeah. it's this thing where I wasn't like in deep trouble. It was just you know, kind of a a good-natured talking to. But I think there's stuff like that where uh, it's like comedy is this thing where it's it's never old. It's always always interesting because you're you're using words like alchemy.
0: Alchemy, great word. I actually saw someone in in India actually perform alchemy right in front of me. He had the power. What was he, it? He could he could turn liquid mercury into a lingam, uh, which is a uh, an egg that uh, represents Shiva, the god Shiva. So okay, it's like a cylindrical thing, and he so he had them, and he lived in this remote place probably one of the furthest places I've ever been. I've been different places around the world, certainly India. And uh, he had a cave underneath. It was through a trap door that went underneath his room. Wow. And uh, this was, he was up uh, like a mile and a half up on a kind of mountain ledge where the holiest river in India uh, comes from, called the Narmada. And, uh, you know, you, if you've heard about the Ganges, People right. go bathe in the Ganges and their sins get evaporated in this life. If you even see the Narmada, all of your sins for all lives, boom. So we were, I would sit in it with the waterfall, please help me. Wow. <laughs> uh, anyhow, he had this cave where it was like the source of the river and he had all these lingams that he would make out of liquid mercury. Now, I never saw him do that. But he talked about alchemy one day, and he put some coins in his hand, right? And uh, no, he put one coin in his hand, Uh an Indian coin, and he said, yeah, all material comes from nothing and goes back to nothing. and Whatever, all the molecules. He was giving a whole dissertation. But meanwhile, I sit there and watch the coin start to fizzle up, Mm -hmm. smoke, and turn into ash in his hand.
1: It's a great magic trick.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, But I knew, you know, he was a very powerful yogi, so this was a low-level, what they call in India, siddhi. But, uh, yeah, um, alchemy. The real alchemy is, of course, changing our guts and that polarity that's inside ourselves, like we were talking earlier. Um, that's the real alchemy. Uh, Yeah. And that takes uh, effort. And the only way you give effort to do something like that is because you're sick of being, you know, this person that believes in their thoughts and their story and and is absolutely, you know, fighting in every way to satisfy the little self, me, me, person. Mm -hmm. So... That's what this whole thing that I've been doing with Duncan. I said, you know, we're doing this because we're sick of it. And we're not going to take it anymore. Remember that
1: movie? Yeah, from yeah. Visit Network.
0: Yeah, Network, Patty. Yeah. Um, okay, wait. Now, did you get into acting uh, before comedy? How did not, that work?
1: Well, I mean, I'd done some acting, like theater stuff in high school. and hmm. Just kind of, you know, rinky-dink stuff like that. Um, but then I got... I moved out here to do comedy. I started doing improv, taking improv classes. And then I started doing stand-up a little bit after that. Just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, starting, starting to do stand-up is one of those things where it's just kind of, kind of just do it. It's not like uh, you have to get certified or anything. It's one of the few things where there is literally no, there's nothing at all between you and doing it, except for maybe a few people. Like, what is, stand, what is stand-up? I don't know. I guess. Maybe uh, two or more people, probably, I like to think. But people do it to one person. It's still the thing. But I started acting after doing comedy. I don't know. I kind of slowly got into it. It's one of those things where I didn't mean to do that, but I kind of just fell into it because it was a thing where it's a way to make money. It's a way to to live. And if you have opportunity to do it and someone wants to send you on an audition – uh, you go on there and, and do it. I definitely had no idea what I was doing for probably about two years. It's probably, it's enough time to where I look back and think, if I had just decided like, oh, maybe I'll take an acting class. Maybe I'll just try to like, be like, oh, I'm, I don't know everything. To try like to not go hmm. into something where I don't mm-hmm. know the words. I don't know the, any of the script. I'm thinking I'm smarter than the person who wrote this. Thinking like, I'm, oh, I'm just going to wing this. No problem. If I had uh, managed to get rid of the attitude earlier, like I, who knows what I'd be doing right now. But it, I think it was a couple of years in, I started I take an acting class. Mm. And I think from there, it really started to take off because I realized that, oh, you have to actually um, uh, practice. And you, when you practice something, a lot of really good things happen for you.
0: Yeah, every level of that. And that's what I was meaning about the uh, alchemy of turning your inside polarity. Uh-huh. Inside out, basically that that alchemy, and it takes tremendous practice. There's nothing you can do that doesn't take tremendous practice.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's about it's about having some fealty to, I mean, to God or the universe or whatever. It's about just sort of bowing your head. I I think it took me a while to do that.
0: Yeah. Um, can you remember the first time you stood up on a stage?
1: Well, what's the stage? Is it a living room? Does that count?
0: No, no. I I would say, you know, something off of, you know, Sunset Boulevard kind of thing.
1: Actually, yeah, that's I cuz the first time I ever did stand up for real was at the Comedy Store. Right. In the belly right. room. I think it was probably the third time I've I did it. The first time I ever did it was in someone's living room in college. And that's not, you know, that was just just goofing around with like a like a lamp turned on its side and after like having many beers and just jotting stuff down on a Post-it note. The second time I ever did it, or second or third time, was opening up for a web talk show. Was the, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made. It was terrible. It was horrible. And like, people would look me in the eye because I bombed so hard. Oh, sure. But then I had someone help me write my – help me basically pare down my material, make it um, – just condense it, make it punchier. And he put me on his show – in the comedy store at the Belly Room and I was so incredibly nervous because my last experience was this web talk show where I was doing warm up which is I mean I emailed a friend of mine who's much older who's a writer very successful writer actor I told him about this and he said why would you ever think that was a good idea to do that I "I didn't I didn't know he's like when we do the warm up we have like crazy like stunt acts come out and people with t-shirt cannons and just wild stuff. We don't have someone doing standup for the first time ever to warm <laughs> these, these jaded people up. So that I was so nervous for that comedy store thing. And I spent a lot of time just working on my stuff, writing it out a bunch, had, like, had a little piece of paper maybe in front of me that had my stuff on it. And I did, I told my jokes and it was like, the reaction was so overwhelming. You can see my face. I have a video cassette of this. Actually, you can see my face. I'm, like, so taken aback that people are laughing. Oh, my God. I'm, like, God. so surprised that this is actually happening. I'm like, wow. what the fuck? This is crazy. And I did <laughs> the rest of my jokes, and um, it was just, like, uh, the rest is, I guess you could say it's kind of history. It just, that sort of cemented my interest in it because I was, like, wow, this is, this, this, can you can do this. It's not not what I thought it was before. It's mm. actually possible to do this and have a good outcome
0: yeah are you still um and and you're still acting as well I, I don't yeah know. I mean yeah. uh what are you in
1: right now I'm not working on anything right now, but there's uh I don't know I do I do all kinds of I'm doing a lot of little things here and there I do a lot of voice work too I like oh you the, do yeah, the voice work to me is really fun because it's it's so imaginative because you're doing something where you kind of have to bring everything because you can't rely on any kind of visual cue. You have to make it all everything you're saying, everything you're conveying has to be conveyed in your voice. Yeah.
0: And the tone or, and everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because there's so there's so much great acting that happens with, with just the tiniest of looks and facial expressions. Mm. I was yeah. watching that movie Shampoo the other day. Have you seen that movie? Shampoo. Oh yeah.
0: Four billion years ago. God, who yeah. is
1: it? Who is the British woman in that movie? Uh Julie Christie? Yeah. There's one scene where she, it's Julie Christie and uh, Warren Beatty. And I swear to God, I don't know if it's just intentional or if she like was waiting for him to respond and just kept going because he missed a line. But she does this stuff with her face for a second where she just is like, there's was about two seconds of no talking, but it's her, you see her face go through like four or five different things before she speaks again. And you're like, my God, that was so funny. So funny and weird and conveyed so much. You just love it.
0: Mm.
1: And with like voiceover, obviously you can't do that. So it's something where you kind of have to find a way to to um to convey an idea or an emotion with through the way the way you say something. Yeah. And so it yeah. involves like, I just love the trick of it. It's like almost like a little yeah. puzzle kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean cuz mm-hmm. I started out in radio and we were doing that kind yeah. of thing all the time. We used to do stuff like uh I, I, it was in Montreal. It was a, a large station. I mean, it had a, a 50,000 watts or something and um, we you know, there was censors uh, uh-huh. in the government and people would report you for swearing. Right. And so we said, "Let's try this." Gee, the weather today is going to be absolutely fucking gorgeous. <laughs> and it will never, ever did we get a censure. Never.
1: Funny.
0: Just tone of voice. It's yeah. all, you know, that's so, there's a whole thing in Tibetan Buddhism, by the way, around tone of voice.
1: Really? I don't know. Oh, that.
0: yeah. Yeah. They, they're able to control elements and people and so on with, with tone of voice. Yeah. Uh, well, you know it. Just that's what people are doing all the time. Uh Right, and yeah, I had fun that way in terms of uh, doing some voiceover stuff with um, Duncan.
1: Oh, right, you did gospel, right? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I hadn't
0: done that before, but uh,
1: it's the greatest.
0: Yeah. So, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about you talked about how you love to just really become aware of people and surroundings and just kind of watch, right? Yeah. That was something I, that was really... I
1: really, really do.
0: Um, uh, I wanted ahead, to... Sir. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to equate it with something that's a real practice. Not that... I'm not suggesting this isn't a real practice. Okay, okay right. Um, but it's something from Ram Dass, too. And he came first came back from India in the 60s before I went over with him and others. Uh, and it is... Using witness, and it's pretty much the same thing. It is, of course, self-directed so that you are aware. It's mindfulness. It's mm-hmm. now that's the term back then. Ramdas was using a term. It actually, I think, came from Gurdjieff and Aspensky, these uh, Eastern European uh, s- uh, spiritual teachers. And it was, it only though. Can happen in terms of everything that you see, all the phenomenon you see uh, through people, through events, uh, physical activity, animals, trees, flowers, and the internal dialogue that's going on and the motivations that are happening. And the witness can only really be a witness if it's not in your head. Because if it's in your head, it's constant, that motherfucker. Jesus, he did that. (laughs) God, why did you do that? You're so stupid. You know, and on and on. I mean, if we talked actually to to other people, the way that we talk to ourselves. Oh, man. You'd be in, you know, you'd be put in jail. Yeah. It's amazing. So the witness, so I was just, so yeah, equating this, um, which obviously was something really crucial for you. Um, in terms of developing what we talked about before, which is perspective. Uh, but comedy, it would seem to me, has to lend itself to being able to see people, situations, etc.
1: Yeah, Clearly. for real. It's definitely something where when you watch something, you're, th- you're just, if, you, if you're quiet, because that, that's what I think to me is a big part about watching and observing is it forces you to, Listen and not, you can't think about a lot of other things because you're watching something else. I mean, that's why we like plays so much. That's why we like movies so much. A lot of that stuff will never go away because when you're observing someone and they're being truthful in their actions, like if you're watching a person just randomly, if you're just like watching someone who can't tell that you're watching them, you're watching them do whatever they do, you're, you're taken out of yourself because you're absorbing what they're doing. And it's this really really spiritual thing because you're 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 totally time times time goes away because you're focused in on on observing this thing that's happening especially if you're watching someone who's unaware you're basically just watching you're watching truth you're watching the truth of something and i think that's why we hate that's why all everyone no matter what hates bad acting they hate seeing bad performances because Mm. you're seeing something that's not true because when someone's doing, a, an incri- a, doing not, a, not a good job, not a great job. I mean, like someone just doing the job. If you're doing the job as an actor, you're being truthful in the moment with what's presented with you. It's, it's the truth of the situation. So when we watch that as viewers, we're like, we're just, we're so relaxed and it feels so good to just watch something. You're watching the truth. You're watching the story. The truth of this story that's the same reason I think why we love watching animals. Like just to watch an animal eat. Like I love watching my dog eat <laughs> her breakfast and dinner because it's like, it's just so, such, I don't know, it's like a very, it's very calming to watch an animal do something because everything animals do is they can't lie. <laughs> the animal can't lie. So they everything they do is this this truth. And we love it. We love animals for that. We also love people for the same reason. So I think there's something about like, when you watch something, you get to see this truth and you get to like kind of take it in, like soak it up, and then maybe use that later when you're doing the same thing, when you're having a performance, when you're having a, um, like if you're doing an impression of someone, like we, we watch someone do an impression and they don't sound exactly like them, but if they have the truth of that person, it's like everything, all, all the gaps get filled in. And you know, all of a sudden, you're watching that exact person they're doing an impression of because your brain has been mm. seduced. And that sort of stuff is so magical to me. The idea where you can, if you watch enough stuff, if you, have, if you observe enough things in your life, if you're constantly observing, observing and like taking in new information that's truthful, it gives you so much to put to, to give back in the same way. Like mm. if I'm like, if I see something that's funny I'm telling a story about it on stage about that, and I do in a person, I do like a impression of the th- the person i'm I was witnessing. In my head, in that moment when I'm presenting it, I am the person I was watching because in my head, I'm seeing the person talking who I'm doing the impression of, and i'm I'm literally, I feel like I am them. It's not something where I'm trying to do it. It's just to me, it feels like I am doing them, mm. and that's like this weird sort of. Mm. It's almost like time travel or something crazy. That's it's it's so super highfalutin, but at the same time, it's also the most basic thing that's ever existed.
0: Yeah, that's a great practice right there. I mean, wonderful in terms of finding the the way in which we're as you I think you said earlier in this uh, chat, the ways we're alike. We're alike in a lot more ways than we are unlike, and. This is oh, a yeah. great practice for that, and uh, yeah, that's really cool. Man.
1: Like living, yeah. in... I think that's also the thing where it's always you know people do impressions of politicians and impressions of every kind of person. I think that you really can't, if you're doing an impression of someone in a way, you'll love them because you are embodying their spirit. If you're doing it, if you're doing a good impression of them, even if we're like lampooning someone for something terrible they're doing, it's still an act of love. To a fellow human because you're enacting their spirit.
0: Mm, yeah. That reminds me, of course, when, when you talk also about your your dog, and just I love just watching him eat, or him or she.
1: Yeah. Uh
0: just the the naturalness of it, truth of it. Then yeah. complete, there's no phony anything going on. This is just direct what nature is expressing in this case. And you know where, uh, and it made me think of all the native traditions, right? Yeah. And the fact, of course, we go and kill and marginalize and starve and everything else that white people have done. Us, it's all in us. Uh, And how much do we need that connection to the natural processes of life that you get through nature, basically? Yeah, and and through a real interconnectivity. Wow, huh?
1: Yeah, it's so essential. I even think that dogs, like I think about this a lot with dogs because I just I love dogs, and the idea that like dogs to me, I really think that dogs are. I know they're not they're not humans, but is there? There's nothing closer to a human than a dog in terms of, in terms of its uh, mindset and how how it lives because we're we've been living symbiotically for so long like it's such an ancient relationship that to me the stuff that dogs do are really it's so similar to what humans do it's incredible like the they're way they're,
0: better they're
1: like they're so it's much better
0: god they're god
1: that absolutely works, right yeah it's not an accident <laughs> <laughs> like the fact they can they know my dog knows stuff that I I don't have to say it. I just think it sometimes and for a while we were so surprised by it but now i think about like yeah, of course she knows it because there's some sort of a, I must be doing something with my face that she recognizes because it's we're the same. We've co-evolved for so long. We just, we get each other. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. this thing where it's just new humans, new dogs. That's all that's, there's always, they're and all you the see, same.
0: You see people and their dog, they look like the dog or the dog yeah. looks like them. It's unbelievable.
1: It's insane. Yeah. Hey, how did,
0: uh, we're kind of at the end of the show, right? as they say, but- I would, uh, I don't know who told, must be somebody who listened to one of your podcasts, Uh by the way, who said that uh, maybe you mentioned this, but how did you get into Cynicism and Magic, that Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche book?
1: Well, I think Trussell told me about it. It was him. Yeah.
0: He's the culprit.
1: Yeah. I love it, though. That stuff, that to me really kind of blew my mind in a weird way, just because it's so, uh, it just flies in the face of all the flowery, Crap, everyone thinks about Buddhism and whatnot. It's so nice to hear Chogum Trumpa like
0: that he, he breaks everyone's balls?
1: Yeah. Everyone.
0: You know, because the the culture is so immersed, 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 in spiritual bypass. We're gonna take the same ego shit that we had before, and now we're gonna make it spiritual. Uh So, everything can get upheld, our egos can get upheld the way that they were. We're not going to lose anything, but we can characterize it as something else. And yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I just opened this book. As students and teachers, we can cut down the fortress of spiritual materialism through how we work with situations. We don't combat spiritual materialism through warfare, street fighting, or sending bombs in the mail, but by developing intelligence within ourselves, and that's um, and that's to me that's everything we've been talking about: perspective and witness and awareness, and you know that's uh, and what you said about when we started talking about I forget what it was one thing or another around spiritual path and you said well you know it's a, people like when i share this kind of stuff they get like what are you talking about you know you said that earlier and um i think i came back with eventually uh, reminding people how they are a slave to their stories and their thoughts basically yeah and and desire systems and all of it. You want to stay like that? Fuck this. Don't even bother with any of it. It's bullshit. But if you're really unhappy to constantly be aware if you are getting to that point or it's through some suffering thing in terms of uh, what happened to you or through a psychedelic or through a teacher or through a book or a friend like Duncan, then you got to take up the mantle and go okay i gotta do something because i just don't want to be in this place because it's unhappy period
1: yeah you have to move out of it somehow
0: yeah well you, gotta you, know, I, to.
1: you, yeah, really you got to want to you really got to want to i think a lot of times it just takes you have to uh, get to a point where you're so sick about like you're talking about like i'm so sick of this i gotta figure something out because yeah. this just i'm so tired of eating pizza <laughs> or something like that.
0: Oh God. Duncan goes on about <laughs> what he was doing that he can't even, even on a podcast. I wouldn't even mention it because it's so gross that he got into. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: even know what you're talking about, but I'm sure I do. Uh, I it
0: was something uh, Joe Rogan uh-huh. was um I guess he had this crazy ass sponsor, you know, and it was a sex toy. And poor oh, right. Duncan, yeah, just awful thing. <laughs> We actually lost the file. I told. I don't know why. Oh wow! But we we did a, a chatted about it, mm-hmm. and it, it, I I had the transcripts, and I said, I don't think you want to find this anyhow. This is awful.
1: <laughs> yeah, the weird. dog deleted it.
0: Yeah, yeah right. The dog did. Dog did you a favor. It. Oh, talking about dog. Everybody out there, you want to find Johnny J O H N N Y Pemberton P E M B E R T O N. Dot dog. Is that real? It's Somebody real. Somebody gave that to me.
1: Uh, someone, someone took my I uh, let my website lapse, johnnypemberton.com, and now they're holding it ransom for like, I don't know, 50 grand, something like that. So
0: that's a serious story.
1: Yeah. Because if, if they, uh, they did their research and realized that, I don't know, that maybe I'd want to have the website. Yeah, it's for $24,000 right now. I'm hoping to get it up to 50. I would like them to to want to ask more for me for the website. Mm-hmm. So JohnnyPamerson dot is even better. So they can yeah, kiss my way ass.
0: <laughs> except for the. I mean, yeah, you want to maybe have a.
1: These are serious. These people are. Holy shit. Well, it's probably just a computer. Actually, it's probably just a just something algorithm. that just does it automatically. Mm. If they if they look for websites that lapse and they buy them instantaneously. Mm. Yeah right. And they sell them back to you. Mm,
0: Jesus H. Um, thanks so much for being here, Johnny.
1: Thanks it's for having been me, a really. delight. Yeah,
0: just chatting here. Hell yeah! And uh, yeah, we'll make sure everybody. Uh, of course, we'll have in the show notes connection yes. to Johnny, and eventually, hopefully, Johnny will be able to spend time in different cities.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I, yeah. I am, am doing some stuff coming up here, but I'm not sure exactly the dates, but.
0: I'll okay, be in where Nashville. You'll
1: them, yeah. Uh, you'll, 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 you'll figure it out. Where are you going to be? I'll be in Nashville. I'll Nashville. be in uh, Tacoma and I'll be in uh, Portland. And I think I'll be, these are all coming down. These are all not for another month and a half. So. All right.
0: Okay. But you'll yeah. be able to, you guys who are living in those areas, JohnnyPemmerden.dog, mm-hmm. it'll it be out. there. Absolutely. And again, let's, uh, let's do more of this, Johnny. Well, I agree. Let's even, well you're in LA and yeah, I'm out here. Yeah, we're not very far. Yeah, we got to, let's get together.
1: Let's I'd love to go up there. I haven't that. been up Oh, to yeah, Ohio or come so up long. to Ojai. Yeah, that
0: would be For fabulous. Sure. All right, everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And the plethora of amazing podcasters is extraordinary, Johnny.
1: Podcast.
0: See you next week, everybody. Thanks, Johnny.
1: Bye-bye.